Welcome to Max Volume, where we deliver loud taste and soothing decibels. I am your host, Maxwell Lewis Sanders, and this is episode 76. For those new listeners out there, Max Volume is a podcast that worships at the altar of pop culture, a place where the silly and inane are of the utmost importance. It's a pod where we discuss heavy topics like Jason Zudeckis' mustache, Scott Van Pelt's Stewie Griffin impression, and Carrie Bradshaw's shoe collection. No quote too minor, no side plot too small. This is a pod for the TV geeks and movie freaks. So welcome all weary travelers. Your boredom ends here. Before we delve into the topic at hand, let's start with five minutes of daily Seinfeld-level observations. Ted Lasso is the best thing on television right now. Like, put it down, mark it in your calendars. It is the best. It's like Parks and Recreation, Met Scrubs, Met Mr. Rogers, meets a bottle of Prozac, meets unicorn puppies, and cotton candy rainbows. It's a shot of 100% unfiltered positivity, and it makes me, like, inspired cry at least once per episode. It's on Apple Plus. It's the best thing to have in 2020, which is not saying much because this year is kind of lousy. Although I've, I've had a good time doing this podcast, so, you know, silver lining. And I'll do an episode on it eventually, but it'll be like a seven-parter because I just want to gush about every little adorable detail. Like Ted Lasso bakes, actually bakes scones for his boss every morning because he's just that kind of guy. And he's a soccer coach. He's a football coach from America coaching soccer in England. And it's like, you know, a fish out of water thing. And every time I watch it, I want to squeal like a teenage girl at a Justin Bieber concert. I really do. But I'll save you that horrible mental picture <laughs> by moving on to Conan the Barbarian. Saw it for the first time last night. And what a beautiful, gory swords and sandals and snake magic, apparently, early 80s flick. There's buckets of blood. There's human sacrifices. There's ghost magic. And Arnold Schwarzenegger just slicing up giant, giant beasts and punching camels. It's like, that's right. He punches a camel, like an actual camel. I don't know if PETA was okay with this. It looks like he actually hit him, too. Maybe camels have thick skin or just don't care. But he, he, he socked that camel pretty good. It's just an all-time macho classic. I mean, obviously, he's punching camels. I mean, that is as manly as it gets. Just a lot of fun to watch. Pretty shocking visuals, even in 2020. And I'm desensitized to just about everything, and this was still kind of alarming. Although I'm not desensitized about the Nick Cage heavy metal nightmare fuel movie, Mandy. If you ever seen it, oh my god, just don't see it after midnight. Like you'll turn into a gremlin. It is it is terrifying. But yeah, Conan with giant swords and epic battles and weird snake orgies. I wonder if Nick Cage could have done this movie. That would have been fun. Like if Nick Cage was in the Arnold Schwarzenegger role, like now, that would be awesome. I'd watch that. I mean, Nick Cage and snake orgies, you know, sold. And if you so if you need to be distracted from existence for like two hours, it's on Xfinity on demand right now. Not Nick Cage and snake orgies. Uh Conan the Barbarian. So just dive right in. But now it's time for the main course. Are you guys ready? It's a 48-ounce tomahawk steak of a topic. It's going to be served medium rare with Himalayan pink sea salt, a side of creamy Bernay sauce, and a nice Lagavulin 16-year scotch to wash it all down. Ladies and gentlemen, sound the bells of Gondor. This is not a drill. Tom goddamn Hardy is going to be assuming the mantle of Jamathy Shaken, not stirred, Bondington Jr., aka James Bond, in the next installment of the 007 movie franchise. Is this locked in as a fact? Nope. Is it too exciting to wait until we get an official confirmation? You bet your sweet butt it is. I've been waiting for this news for a freaking decade. When Tom Hardy played a Bond kind of adjacent mental thief named Eames in Christopher Nolan's Inception, but the excitement doesn't simply stem from that film. Like, I'm officially a registered Tomaholic. 
I have a hardy on for Mr. Tom. And we have a secret fan club, new wave band called Tom and the Hardy Axe. And with this news, we get to unpack everything Mr. Hardy has done to this point. And that alone is worth celebrating. By the way, Tom and the Hardy Axe is actually a good name for a band. If I ever start a band, which I won't because I'm tone deaf and also musically, I'm musically pretty much at the level of a two-year-old. I tried to play the oboe when I was like in seventh grade or sixth grade or something like that. And I was probably the worst in human history of playing the oboe. But I wanted to play that snake song, you know, like, like that song. But it had, an oboe has a double read, which is really difficult. But I was terrible at music anyway. So like, why pick the hardest instrument? Anyways, Tom Hardy, forget the oboes. Let's dig in. First off, weirdly, Tom Hardy fans as a whole kind of seem obsessed with citing that he is an underrated actor. To which I would argue, he's not. He's rapidly adored by a legion of particular fans. Like, he's not a meat and potatoes typical actor. He's escargot, or a venison carpaccio, or a fine pate. He's a champion of a smaller, cultured percentage of the population. And his mainstream unfavorables are understandable and defensible, because the guy is a certified weirdo. Slight backstory for Tom in his childhood. He was addicted to glue sniffing by 11. Apparently, I guess in school, they told him, like, hey, you know, as a group, like, not him individually, but, like, they're telling everybody, hey, don't sniff glue, you know, it's bad for you, you know what I mean, like, you'll get addicted, and he went right home and basically just wanted to do it because someone told him not to, so that's his kind of personality. He's addicted to hallucinogens by 13 and was a full-on crack cocaine addict by 17, so his upbringing was colorful, to say the least. He's quoted as, as saying at the time he would have sold his own mother for a rock of crack. So luckily, he turned a corner. He's not like that anymore. It'd be kind of <laughs> weird if he was an A-list celebrity addicted to crack. But I guess, they're, I guess they're out there, like Robert Downey Jr. in the 80s and stuff. But he became sober and has been an acting god king ever since. Like, I think what makes Tommy so appealing is his rejection of the classic leading man roles. He plays deplor- deplorable villains, masked men, a lot of masks. Not sure why, but just so many masks. Deformed oddities and cantankerous scumbags are his kind of bread and butter role. So why is, which which is so against the grain, considering he's one of the most beautiful men in Hollywood. I mean, just open up a picture of him. Like, look at those quivering boy band level duck-faced lips he has. Like, the bad boy jawline he has, too, with eyes that could melt a pat of butter with a single batting of his eyelashes. Yes, I have a huge man crush on Tom Hardy. He's top three for me. I think probably number two. Idris Alba is number one always because he looks like the human equivalent of a panther. But uh, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> uh, I think I've talked about my crush on Idris Alba like once every three podcasts. I think I just can't let it go. But anyways, Tom Hardy. Like the man is classically good looking like Robert Redford. He's Paul level. I mean, Paul Newman level kind of handsome. But do you know who his favorite actor is? It's Gary Oldman, who's not the best looking dude. But he's the man of a thousand faces and a million personalities. And it makes sense when you look at their careers. Oldman can do like dreadlock drug dealers to British prime ministers to medieval Dracula to space opera gun runners. Or I love the DEA agent in uh, The Professional when he says the line, everyone, like super intensely. I think that's my favorite one line of dialogue ever. So shout out The Professional and Gary Oldman in that movie. My God. But neither one of them is afraid of the grotesque or the strange. Hardy embraces every role like it's his last. And, you know, Oldman does the same thing. They, they create this urgency and dedication to their parts. And doing research for this, I found out that Hardy is a disciple of the school of method acting, which makes this deep dive into his career much more interesting. 
method acting for the uninformed is when the actor doesn't break from character uh, or their personality during the entirety of the shooting of film. I think De Niro does it. Uh, Johnny Depp does it. You know, a lot of uh, like the dude. Oh, Daniel Day-Lewis is pretty much the most infamous uh, one for this. So I got to thinking, and this means during The Dark Knight Rises, Tom Hardy woke up, you know, hit his alarm. He was Bane. Read the newspaper in the morning as Bane. Had breakfast as Bane. Went for a jog as Bane. And he was Bane when he was getting the mail in his bathroom. Like, I would pay any amount of money to have seen every second of Tom Hardy with this crab mask on doing just daily chores as a Batman villain. Like, I want it. I need it. It's somewhere out there. It's got to be somewhere out there. I just need it. But let's take this from the top. Let's pick the best roles from the past 15 years and see what flourishes Tom has created that foreshadow his role as James Bond Esquire III. I'm not even sure if James Bond is the third. It just sounds fun to say, Esquire III. I don't even know what Esquire means. I don't know it's like, it's like a Duke title or something like that, but sounds fun. James Bond Esquire III. So first time anyone took notice of Hardy was in 2008's Bronson, which is a bare-knuckle, real-life tough guy who prided himself on being the baddest dude in the prison system, in the British prison system. I mean, that's an awesome tagline. And this role is kind of charisma-defined. Like, you can't take your eyes off Hardy as he self-narrates. Bronson's kind of has this deplorable life behind bars. And there's this calm, self-aware insanity, like a laughing wink to the ridiculousness of his life. And whose life is more over the top and absurd than Mr. Bond? So Hardy clearly has shown he can be captivating and charming, while also diffusing the insanity of a situation with a wink and a smile. Very Bond. And it's just love it. Love this movie. So goddamn weird and energetic. It gets kind of Broadway playish at some time. There's a lot of face makeup. Something about Tom Hardy and covering his face. Still, I, I wonder if he's ever been asked. About, I'm sure he's been asked about it, but I've never gotten a proper answer. But Bond doesn't always need to be calm and collected. So I'd love to see some intensity brought to the role. And Hardy has intensity in spades. And it's clear in this movie. Then we have the aforementioned Eames from Christopher Nolan's 2010 Inception. Like, this role is 99% classic James Bond. He's never panicked, shoulders back, a creative improvisationist master with a flair for the dramatic. And this is his best role, I think, in general. I think everyone will agree this is, like, the Tom Hardy you want to watch over and over again. Like, he's smug, he's coy, he always gets the right answer quicker than anyone else in the film, even though everyone else in the film seems smart and adept at their job. And he's wearing these beautiful suits in Moroccan casinos. Like, what more do you need from Tom Hardy? Oh, and he acts Leonardo DiCaprio like clean off the stage. Like, watch the scene on the balcony in Morocco again when Leo's trying to lure him back into, you know, doing an inception. And Hardy eats Leo's lunch. And it's not even a contest. Like, the tagline from the freaking trailer was Hardy mentally creating a grenade launcher out of thin air and calmly stating, you mustn't be afraid to dream a little bigger, darling. Like, smoothest guy on the planet. He can call me darling all day, you know, six days a week and twice on Sunday. And at his core, James Bond is unrelentingly cool under pressure. So it just, it fits. And honestly, if I could have, if I could, I'd rather just have a movie about Eames from Inception. But Bond is close enough, so I'll take what I can get. I would watch an Eames movie, just call it Eames. That's cool. Everyone would know what's up. And now Bond needs a physicality. Because there's always a top, like a top level chase scene, both on foot and in cars in the Bond movies. I think the best one probably is uh, the Daniel Craig kind of with the parkour guy in the slums of something like African neighborhood. That was awesome. But uh, there's always lots of gunplay and hand-to-hand fisticuffs. 
that come with being the most elite secret agent on the planet. Side note, James Bond would be the worst secret agent in history. Like, everyone knows who he is. He orders, he orders weirdly memorable drinks, which, shake it not stirred, by the way, it gives you a watered-down martini. When you shake it rather than stir it with a special spoon, that means the ice melts, so you're just getting water. So he just, he's basically saying, I want a watered-down martini. That's stupid. But he drives a classic bulletproof Aston Martin. That's not inconspicuous. He sleeps with everyone, so, like, everyone knows who he is. He gambles like a Saudi prince and predominantly wears tuxedos. Like, I mean, how, many, how is any of this covert? But rant over, doesn't matter. That's the best part of James Bond. He's so good at his job, he doesn't even need to adhere to the secret aspect of being a secret agent. He just takes 50% of it and goes, nah, I'll do the other part. Anyways, Bond's physicality, Hardy has it in spades. Like, he can be quick and unflinching like in Mad Max. Like, that dude in that movie was the definition of Viper Quick, and you believed he was the most dangerous dude in the post-apocalyptic world of desert freaks. In The Dark Knight Rises, Bane just vibrates with physical strength and lethal hand-to-hand combat. And I don't think Bane picks up a gun once during the entire film. It still kills eight people with his bare hands. So, side rant, Bane is my favorite movie character of the past 20 years. It makes no sense why he talks like the Monopoly guy with a British accent and a hair lip. I love, I just love it. I like talking like Bane on a daily basis. Uh, nothing is more fun to me than saying like, oh, really? Uh, to yourself between your cupped hands in the shower. When you, or when you turn off the light to go to bed, you say, I was born in the dark, molded by it. I didn't see the light till I was already a man. By then it was nothing but blinding. And then running under the covers. That's kind of what I like to do. Yes, um, seven, but Bane and his nonsensical voice bring it out of me. It happens. Get over it. I'm sure you guys have a voice that you do. Anyways, the dude can believably lift Batman over his head and break his back. So yeah, the, f- the fight scenes are going to rule. And of course, we're going to need to see like well-delivered dialogue as Bond seduces and cons his way into the hearts and beds of his enemies. And look no further than Locke. It's a random A24 movie that is 85 minutes of Tom Hardy solely on a speaker, on a car speakerphone solving his gigantic work and personal problems, using nothing more than his words and a Bluetooth-connected phone. By the way, A24 films, for the most part, I think hit or miss, I think they miss a lot. They're just overly pretentious. And I'm a guy who likes artsy-fartsy stuff, but this one works. It's a great movie. And I love, I love the one-scene movie vibe. Like, think Colin Farrell in Phone Booth, which is so underrated. And there's an Armor, Army Hammer one I need to watch. It's on Netflix where he's like, a soldier that's stuck on a landmine, and the whole movie is just him on the landmine. So I need to see that too. So if you need further proof uh, of this, look no further than the British gangster twin, Reggie Cray in Legend, who talked his way out of surefire death multiple times in the film while casually sucking on a lemon sherbet candy usually. Like, brilliant stuff. And finally, you need that one hero gene, that indescribable essence that makes the audience feel they're in the presence of a noble sacrifice sacrificial dignity that is at the core of any truly memorable hero. And that brings us to Ferrier, the self-sacrificing British Air Force pilot in Dunkirk, who did anything and everything for his fellow man and his allegiance to crown and country. We all know Bond is a company man, fiercely loyal to M in the British Empire. So how perfect is it? Like, Hardy has already mastered this rare skill. So there you have it. He's the perfect man to play the perfect part, James Bond. And I couldn't be more excited So, side note though, random Tom Hardy performances I love that have nothing to do with how he'll play Bond. I just want to talk about him. 
Uh, in Warrior, he's the best at being a one-syllable using MMA tough guy. Like, he is intimidating. He's got this weird half-Boston accent, and his traps are just gigantic. And, I mean, I just love it. Venom is hilarious and random and awful, and I can't believe it made, like, so $800 million. But it's so watchable. It's like Jim Carrey from Liar Liar put on 40 pounds of muscle and became a bizarro superhero anti-hero who's talking to himself. Like, it makes no sense. It's the best. And the next one, oh, my God, with Woody Harrelson as Carnage, it's going to be terrible but amazing. And, again, he acts circles around Leo in The Revenant. Like, that movie, I didn't like that movie at all, but I liked Tom Hardy's performance. Like, the big juicy squirrel speech he has is an all-time, like, what is going on moment in movie history. In Lawless, he's a fantastic, strong, silent bootlegger that seemingly can't die. Movie sucks, but Hardy is watchable. It should have been great. Like Shia LaBeouf and this other random dude that I like is in the movie too. But I it just for some reason, it didn't resonate. I don't know. Just a bad plot, I guess. And finally, the diseased, rum-running Jewish gangster Alfie Solomons in Peaky Blinders is just a gem of a role. He says whatever he wants about whoever is in front of him, usually with callous and hilarious punchlines. And it's just so much fun. And he double-crosses everybody. He's a jerk. He's got weird rashes on his face because for some reason Tom Hardy hates his face. And let's not forget, this is the strangest thing. His passion project was the FX show Taboo, which he was like the creator. He wrote with, I think, his brother. And this is when Tom Hardy had the most juice in Hollywood. And he decided to put it all towards this project, which was kind of a bomb. And it's understandable it was a bomb because it's about African mysticism and the East Indian trading company rise and fall in the early 1800s Britain. And even for me, the show was hard to swallow. I don't think I finished it. I got like five episodes in. I'm like, okay, I've had enough. (laughs) It was just so uncomfortable and bizarre and unlikable. But like, goddamn, I respected him just for going for it. Like he just, the one thing about Tom Hardy, you're not like, well, he didn't really go for it. He goes for it. He goes to the edge. Like he loves these off-kilter, uneasy, tortured weirdos as central characters. And he loves creating a world of deceit and illusion. So if him and David Fincher did a movie together, my head would explode immediately. Like, God, I love Tom Hardy. And so should you. So get excited for this rumor that will hopefully be forced into reality sometime soon. Or all my Tom Hardy dreams will be crushed. And he'll do another weird mass-related role. And I'll love that anyhow. Later.